speak tonight, I want to take a title, and really it's starting out a subject. I'm not going to get to where I want to go, and I I am speaking Sunday night as well, but that, Lord willing, will be on a completely different subject, so this isn't a foundation for that or a part one for that, but it'll be a part one for the future. Young people's in like a month, maybe a month and a half, Um, but we'll just take it as the Lord gives it, and I trust it'll be a blessing tonight. Why don't we just bow our heads together and we'll approach the Lord. If, if you want the Lord maybe tonight to come by your way and speak to you, why don't you raise your hand to him and defy gravity yourself and say, Lord, whatever it takes, come by my seat tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just want to humbly approach your throne of grace, Lord. And Lord, it's hard to make announcements mid-service like that and, and kind of break up the atmosphere, but... Father, I pray tonight, Lord, you just come in a very special way, Lord. We're not just young people, Lord. We're your young people. Lord, we believe, Father God, that you've called us. You've chose us. You've elected us, Lord, before the foundation of the world, Lord, and wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Father, for this, we have a great cause of joy and a great thing, Lord, that we can have a confidence, Lord, that you will never fail us, Lord. And we cannot be lost, Father, for, Lord, we love you, and we pray that you draw us closer to you tonight, Lord, than we've ever been before. Lord, that you'd continue to deal with our hearts, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Woo us, Lord, as we know you're only obligated to knock once. But, Lord, I pray you just keep knocking on the dark doors. Those who have opened and have enjoyed fellowship with you, Lord, would you speak again tonight, Lord, and just have the preeminence in our lives. We commit the word to you, myself. Help me to get aside, get out of the way, Lord, and allow you to speak and move in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Genesis chapter 15. Thank you to Brother Jared and Brother Ethan for getting the screen running. That is fantastic. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 says this, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Amen. May the Lord as a blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. And I want to just take this as as even Brother Red, if you scroll up in the in the chapter, in in chapter 15, you'll find where Abraham had made the, the sacrifice and had laid it out before the Lord and how the fowls of the air came and he had to beat the fowls of the air off of the sacrifice waiting for God to come and to accept the sacrifice. And in it, 
We know God came and he put Abram into a, a deep sleep and a darkness came over him. And it was quite a, uh, um, an experience with God that really God was showing Abraham something. And in this, at the end of it, he begins to come out with these words and saying this to him, saying, Abram, your, your seed. And God had promised his seed that they would be as the stars in the heaven and they would be as the sand on the seashore and that all of these, these great things would happen and come from him and how he would have a son and it was a promised son and how his seed would become so great. But, he says, but your seed will sojourn in a strange land. There's going to be great trial. There's going to be great tribulation. There's going to be things take place that maybe they'll look at and they won't fully understand. But Brother Bam would even talk about it in the message of third Exodus and he would say the reason that they went down into Egypt was because of brotherly jealousy. It wasn't brotherly love that brought them down into Egypt. It was brotherly jealousy, that they were jealous of Joseph because God used Joseph and God spoke to Joseph and God revealed himself to Joseph, which was the second to the youngest in all of the 12 brethren. And God put Joseph, or they put Joseph, sorry, the brothers put Joseph in a pit and they pulled him out and sold him to the Ishmaelite traders and they brought him down to Egypt and he went through all the trials there that Joseph went through, but he'd raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh. And all of that was due to the fact that ten men were jealous of one scrawny little boy. But in all of it, it was for a purpose that behind, behind the scenes, God was working. There was something going on that men didn't recognize. To them, they were looking at jealousy. To them, they were looking at a thorn in their flesh, perhaps, is what they would have referred to Joseph as. And to them, they looked at and then thought Joseph was done and over with. And now there had come years later a famine in the land. And how were they ever going to survive? And they, they were coming up and trying to reason within themselves how they would overcome this problem, not knowing that God was working in the background and God was moving the whole time when in ways that they did not understand and they did not see that God was preparing for them a way of escape, a way that they would be able to overcome, that they would be able to ride out the famine, that there would be something that would take place that they would not realize God was actually bringing to pass the promise that he made to Abraham. So many years ago that he told Abraham, your seed will sojourn in a strange land. They will go down there for 400 years. And Abraham even, I'm sure at this time, would not be able to comprehend or understand why or how this, these, these events would unfold that would drive them into this land or why um, they would ever come to a place where they would need to go to a strange land and why this nation would afflict them. And why they would bring about all this harm to them, but yet God would even have to judge that nation, the nation that they would serve, and afterwards the, that his seed would come out with a great substance. These are the prophecies as God begins to speak, often in the moment and even for years afterwards and decades sometimes and even centuries sometimes, it is completely misunderstood how these things are ever going to come to pass. And we can look at it for, uh, for another quick example to take Isaiah, um, um, who Isaiah was such a mighty prophet that he would even get a word from the Lord and go tell Hezekiah, you're going to die, put your life in order. And, God, and Hezekiah would turn to the wall and Hezekiah would pray and ask the Lord, being a righteous king, for 15 more years and God would answer his prayer and give him 15 more years and even then come back to Isaiah and say, go back now to Hezekiah and tell him he's going to live. And Hezekiah asks for a sign and God gives him a sign and turns the sun back 10 degrees. 
And all of these things take place instantaneously, and it's just happening like this, and it's amazing. But the same prophet Isaiah would rise up and say, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And so people could look at Isaiah and look at one side and see how he spoke and it happened and it was absolutely amazing. And on the other side, they would look at it for 800 years and say, it didn't happen. Was he a false prophet? And they would have this conflict within themselves, but often this is the way God speaks. And when he speaks, he does not explain himself, nor does he have to explain himself, because he's sovereign and he's God and he doesn't know anybody in explanation. And any time Brother Branham even said one time he asked God, or not he asked God, but he demanded God for an explanation, and God just put the curtain down and said, you don't know, I don't owe you nothing. I don't have to give you an explanation for anything because he prayed for a woman and the woman died. And he didn't understand why, but finally God showed him her time to go was years before. But someone had helped her and saved her and had helped her to live through it. And now I'm finally taking her home. Oh my. Because that's the way God operates. And, and, and in this, we know that God also was talking about in the fourth generation, they would come hither. Because back then, he's talking about four generations, 400 years. If you read how long people lived back then, 100 years, 120 years, 139 years, 126 years. They were talking about before 100 years. Their child, the ones that would go in, their child, child, child would begin to come out. So we look at it and say, well, that's a long time, 400 years. Absolutely, that's an incredibly long time, 400 years. How long y'all been alive? Nowhere close to 400 years. And yet your life seems like, man, Brother Andrew, it's been a long time. Every day just drags, and it seems like I just can't get on to the next one. And eh, that's so hard. 400 years. But yet for them, it was their great, great grandson that would come out. And in that, we would know that that would be called... The Exodus, or what we know now as an Exodus. Because an Exodus, by, by explanation, an Exodus is, is a going out or a departure or even an emigration, usually of a large amount of people, would be what an Exodus is by, by, by definition. So that was what, what was, God was describing that in the fourth generation, there will be an Exodus. But I have to wait until then. Why? Not because I'm just sitting back and not doing anything, but because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, there had, the conditions on this end had to be ready for the conditions on this end to unfold. Just like when they went down into Egypt, right? For in order for the famine to take place, God had to first bring a Joseph. Someone that could sustain the people through the famine in order for this famine to happen, to do what? To bring to pass the word of God in order to drive them down into Egypt. In order to bring them out again, there had to be a condition over here where the sin of the Amorites had become full. And God was saying, all right, they've done enough in the land. They've, they've, they have refused and refused and refused to worship me at all. And they're, they're, they're a stench in my nostrils. It's time for them to be judged. So how am I going to do it? I'm going to bring out my people out of Egypt. And we're going to come out, we're going to do this. But now, Brother Brennan would talk about the Exodus, because we know in the, in the Exodus, this was the first Exodus. The first Exodus, there's a second Exodus, and there's a third Exodus. Make a bit of a jump here, but we're going to just, might just dwell mostly on this tonight and, uh, and, and go into it this way. You, you could even put that up there, Brother Ethan, as the title. That's fine, and just leave it there until I need it. Thank you.
Um, in the message, the third exodus, he says, the first exodus, what did he do? He brought them out of a natural land to a natural land. So in the first exodus, he brought the children of Israel from the natural land of Egypt into the natural land of Canaan. And the second exodus, which was Christ, he brought them out uh, from a spiritual condition into a spiritual baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So in other words, it was out of a natural people into a spiritual people. It was out of the condition they got themselves into, into an actual spiritual condition by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, being baptized by, into the body of Jesus Christ. And now the third exodus, he says, the, 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 to bringing them, is bringing them from the spiritual baptism of the Holy Ghost back into the eternal land of the millennium and the great thereafter. So now there's a, there's, a, there's a third exodus that goes beyond just the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That was the second exodus, to bring you out of a spiritual condition into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost then puts you into a third exodus, which is now to come to perfection, to bring you back into the eternal land of the millennium. Brother Branham says this, though. He says, in the same pillar of fire, by the same anointed system... The same God doing the same things. So he's saying, how will these exoduses be? In the first exodus, how did God bring them out? With a mighty hand. What led them by day? A pillar of cloud. What led them by night? A pillar of fire. It was a pillar of fire that brought them out. What stood between them and the Egyptians when they were stuck at the Red Sea? The pillar of fire. What was there and showed the anointing of God over the tabernacle? The pillar of fire. What was there that dwelt between them on the mercy seat? The pillar of fire. That sat there the whole time in the Shekinah glory. It was there. It was leading them. It was guiding them. And then in the second exodus, what happened? What was the baptism of the Holy Ghost? They said little licks of fire like tongues of fire came and rested upon all of them. It was the Holy Ghost came again in a visible form. And once again showed that I'm here moving in the midst and we're coming out of something and I'm taking you into something else. And now we've had it again in our day. In the third exodus, there was uh, the visible pillar of fire again that was showing now we're in another exodus. We're taking us a little bit higher again. There's a sign that comes forth to show us that the season that we're living in. He says, the same word that declared the first one declared the second one, and the same word that declared the second one declared the third one, the third exodus. And here we see it all among us. And he says, oh, come out, come out of the chaos, come to a living God, come to the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. And now he's in our flesh dwelling among us, come out and serve a living God. Amen. And I'll just read one more quote. I, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to be able to unpack all of this tonight, but I trust you'll just stay with me. But the third exodus is when the same pillar of fire takes the bride from the church. That's from the next, in, in the morning of, of June 30th of 1963, he preaches the third exodus. In the evening, he preaches a message called, Is Your Life Worthy of the Gospel? And he recaps this service real quickly in saying the third exodus is the, is the pillar of fire takes the bride out of the church. He says, and then he goes back to the first exodus. He says, out of the natural, the second exodus, out of the spiritual, and the third exodus is the spiritual out of the church. Oh my, to go up higher. 
Now, if I could just break it down a little bit further, and I know you say, Brother Andrew, I've heard some of these things before. Maybe you have. But act like you haven't, all right? Just rejoice with me. If you want to get up and dance, get up and dance. It won't bother me. The first exodus, when they, were, when they came out, we could, we could spend services on how they murmured. All of the complaints. But it was a natural people coming out of a natural land into a natural land. It was a type of the next two exoduses. It was a type that God would then bring out the antitype. And they complained and they murmured and they didn't want to go. Now, now let me just take a, take a step back. They wanted to go when they were in Egypt. When they were under the whip of the taskmasters and when the oppression was there, they desired by their own reasonings to go. When Moses came with two signs, and he came with the sign, he threw the rod down and the sign, and, he, and it turned into a serpent and things, and then he put his hand in his bosom and he pulled it out again, and it was leprous, put it in, put it out again, and it was clean. There's two signs. To the children of Israel, they looked at those signs because they were elected to see those signs, and they said, that's the truth. To the world, the Egyptians, they looked at it and said, that's a magic trick. The third exodus is no different. To the elect, they look at the sign and they say, that's the truth. It points to the time we're in. But to those that are not seed, they look at it and say, it's just a, a fable. It's just telepathy. It's just something else. They try and put any other name on it to try and disprove the sign. But... But in all of it, Moses, he came with these signs, and then there was plagues that followed, right? There was 10 plagues. Nine of those plagues had no effect on the children of Israel living in Goshen. They had lice everywhere, but not in Goshen. They had frogs everywhere, but not in Goshen. It was darkness everywhere, but not in Goshen. There was blood, uh, all the water turned to blood in all of the land except for in Goshen. All of these things happened, but they were safe. But eventually there came a time. There came the final plague where now it didn't matter whether you were in Goshen, whether you were in, 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 in Egypt, in Cairo, in whatever the capital city was, in Alexandria, wherever you were at. This was going to affect everybody. And you had to have, the only way to get by it was to have the token applied. In other words, and being a natural people with natural reasoning wasn't good enough anymore. Now it took faith in something you could not physically see in order to overcome this trial. And in this, they, the many people even could, could say, okay, we're going to go with this. We're going to come out of it this way. But when they finally got out there, when they found out that their faith did not meet the occasion, they began to murmur and complain. Why? Because they realized, we run out of water. You brought us out here to die. Our reasoning said we should just walk from here to Israel. We didn't realize, Moses, you were going to bring us by the way of this mountain to meet God. You didn't tell us this. You told us we were going out to worship and we're going out. We didn't realize that we're going all the way down to this mountain. We're taking this side tour. I'm trying to bring you to a point to help you understand. This is how reasoning works against faith. Because that, that's the battle that we face every day. In every exodus, it was always a battle between reasoning and faith in order to fight over what was going to happen and how God was going to move. And I know maybe tonight some of you came saying, Brother Andrew's going to preach on courtship and, and marriage again. And, we're going to get ready for a service on courtship, but this is what God laid on my heart. So we'll come back to that eventually, but we need to take a side tour and do this because I, I, this is pertinent for the time right now. 
So are you with me? Amen. All right. So now, now, now as, they, as they come out in this way, they, they begin to realize in their own reasoning was, we're going to die. God gave them water out of a rock. That should have been enough to spark their faith. I don't know about you, but if a man walked up to a rock with a stick and hit it, and water came out enough to feed two million people, their cattle, their sheep, their everything else, that might spark enough faith. But let me say it to you this way. That's not how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word. Not by seeing miracles. Brother Branham said it, and Brother Matthew Watkins even brought in a quote where he said, to see one person crippled with cancer, be supernaturally healed, it ought to give us enough faith. It ought to. Seeing water come from rock ought to give them enough faith to never doubt again. It ought to give us that kind of faith, but somehow it just doesn't. Because this word is the only thing that gives faith because heavens and earth will pass away. These bodies and all of the healing will pass away, but this will never fail. But the Bible says there will come a day when the sun will not shine, the moon will not reflect anymore, the stars will not twinkle in the skies, but this word will still not pass away. It is going to go on forever and not one jot and not one tittle can go until it be perfectly fulfilled. That's what we need to have our faith built upon. And what they didn't realize was that their faith was, in, was based upon the fact that they were reasoning out how they were going to get from Egypt to Israel, how they were going to feed their sheep, how they were going to water themselves, how they were going to have enough food. But when it came down to it, they didn't have enough. And then when it came time for the occasion of now we're going to go out and spy out the land, they didn't have enough faith to look at the giants and look at the Word of God and realize the Word of God was greater than the giants. Because instead they took their reasonings and saying the giants are greater than the Word of God because this is a word and this is a big dude with a sword. And we still look at it that way today in the third exodus where we go, there's no way I could possibly overcome the giants in my life because this is just the word of God that says he whom the Son is set free is free indeed. But this over here is something that I can physically, tangibly spend my time on. Right? And we take the tangible over the intangible. Because of reasoning. Let me just jump ahead here for a minute. Because Brother Brown says, unbelief will catch reason. He says, that's what it did. That's now, you get it, he says, unbelief relies on reasons. Reason, present day, he says, present day Things. Oh, present day things. Abraham had nothing present day to say we're going to have a child. Abraham had nothing present day to even go beyond that and say, my seed are going to be in a foreign land and they're going to be persecuted. I don't even have a seed. But somehow my seed will be taken by a nation. God's just jumped way beyond present day and gone way over into a future time and said, believe me, Abraham. That's how God operates. 
and we look at it, but he says, but unbelief hooks on to reason to say, show me something tangible right now that proves that this is real. Oh my. But he says, faith looks at the word. Faith places itself upon the immovable rock of God's eternal word. Amen. Faith don't look to reason. I don't care how much you can show it would be a better way. If the word says no, faith rests there. This is the sanctuary of God's resting place, of faith's resting place. Hallelujah. So in this, the children of Israel, as they come out of, the, in the, come out of Egypt, they come to the promised land. As they come across the, all of these things, there came a time where they had to have the blood applied, but still they had to go beyond just that, and they had to recognize that the word for their day was enough to take them over. Because there was some, when they got there, as I said, when they came to spy out the land, they didn't want to completely come out. So they naturally died. Because they didn't want, when they, when they finally came out, and, but there was something in them. God provided their food, God provided their water, but there was something within them that said, we want the leeks and the garlics. How many of y'all ever had a leek before? A couple. I've, I've had some, some leeks too. I have no idea what they were so enticed about. <laughs> They're not that great, but maybe it was better than manna. I don't know what manna I heard was like honey, kind of a honey wafer with bread from what I understand. Brother Branham describes it. But to them, I mean, they were like, man, I want this vegetable again. Maybe they're a bunch of vegetarians. I want the, I want the vegetable again. <laughs> Vegan, because honey comes from bees. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm not going to go there. We'll stay off of that. <laughs> Amen. We'll let a brother that knows more about that get up here and preach. But, but they, they, they wanted something within them was desiring something what was back there. In other words, they couldn't completely leave that alone. But God said, in order to go into here, you've got to completely leave that. You can't bring the leeks of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. You can't bring the garlics of Egypt because I'm telling you, I'm giving you better. I'm giving you more. I'm giving you something greater. And yes, what's in this promised land will be greater than the leeks and garlics. And yes, the space of time in between might be in the flesh. Not so great. But don't look at the present day things. Look at the promise and what lays ahead and recognize what's coming. As it says in the New Testament, the glory which shall be revealed in us is not worthy to be compared with the sufferings of this current time. Amen. Because the time in between here where we're stuck and we're going through this wilderness seems like, man, I really wish I could just have some comforts and just relax and just not have to worry about anything and not have to, you know, press into devotions and not to press into prayer. I'm so tired. I'm so wore out. If I could just go back into what I used to be. But God says, you've got to leave that alone because what I'm taking you to is so much greater than what you ever had. Amen. Because even now, if we take from the, from, the, from the first exodus and drop it down into the second exodus, second exodus was a spiritual people coming out of a natural people by the Holy Ghost birth, being reborn into a spiritual body of Christ. Because as Corinthians says, by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. That was, that was the second exodus. But even in this, there were some that didn't want to completely come out. 
and they died naturally. Isn't that amazing? I thought we were talking about spiritual people now. Uh-huh. And they died naturally. Who are these people? Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to be a part of this. They wanted to be a part of what was going on, the latest move and all the things. They've seen the works of God. They've seen the wonders of God. They've seen what was happening in Paul and in Peter and everything that was going on. I think Peter just at the time. Paul wasn't around yet. But they had all these things happen. And they said, listen, we want to be a part of this. So they said, we're going to listen. What we're going to do. We're going to sell our land. And we're going to tell them because we want the full blessing. We want them to really look up to us too. So we're going to tell them that this is the price that we, we've sold our land for. We're going to give this to them. But in reality, they kept half of it back for themselves. Not realizing that God knows all things and God looks on the hearts of men and God's seen that if somebody is defiled in their heart, all is defiled to them. And it says that in the Bible too, in, in Titus. Paul talks about it. But now as, 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 they, as they begin to give, they begin to give this gift and, he's, and, and Ananias comes and says, here's the gift, this is all that we sold the lamb for. And Peter says, is this all? God still had enough grace for them because that's what the Holy Ghost brought. Enough grace for him to say, there's a space of repentance here. But he said, yep, this is it. And he said, oh, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? Why did you do this? Sounds like another time back in the first Exodus when there was a man named Achan. Doesn't bid very well for us with A names. Ananias and Achan. And all these, I don't know why they all have A names, but... All these, these guys, and Achan, he, he took something and he began to try and hide in the midst of children of Israel. Say, God will never find me. I just took these things, you know. But it was a cursed land. Don't take these things. But what was he looking at? Why did he know that a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold and a wedge of silver was valuable? Because of what he's seen in Egypt. There was nothing in the promised land that said a Babylonian garment is valuable. Because they did not have Babylonian garments, and their garments did not go threadbare, and their shoes did not wear out. I would say theirs were much more valuable than a Babylonian garment. But because of what he's seen in Egypt hadn't died out, he began to realize, my mom told me, because he wasn't part of that older generation. The only older generation was who? Joshua and Caleb. The next generation down that came into the, into the promised land now, because the older generation passed away except for the two, they came in and he, and he had something sowed in his heart from Egypt. I thought, this must have been what mama was talking about. How she wanted these nice clothes and how she just missed dressing like this. And how dad always talked about how he missed the money he used to make. Oh, I could have all the things that my parents wished they had. All of these things that are in the scripture, they, you have to read between the lines, Brother Brennan would teach us. Why? Because in them, you begin to realize they're real people. They had conversations. They had things that took place in their lives that brought them to places to make decisions. All right? They're no different than you and I. The angel's on one side, the devil's on the other side. It, it's, it's the same way today as it was then. It wasn't all of a sudden Achan just woke up one morning and said, ah, you know what? I'm a bad guy now. No, it was something that was sown in his, in his flesh and in his upbringing that he began to come out of him and realize, I, I really like this. But it, God had said, it's cursed, don't touch it. 
But now we come even down to Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias, he'd gone in this way, and he, he got himself in trouble. And now Sapphira came in, and she's looking for her husband. She's a good, faithful wife that says, hey, I haven't seen my husband around. You know, he was down here. I know he's down here. Have you seen him in a while? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Peter says, i just seen him recently. <laughs> Tell me, is this sum of money, all the, all the amount that you guys sold your land for? Talk about the grace of God. God knocking at their heart store saying, hey, you really want to go down this road? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to say, are you sure? Do you really want to make this decision? I can't pick you up by the scruff of the neck, Ananias and Spirus, and force you to do the right thing. But I'm trying to knock at your door and say, hey, are you sure this is really what you want to do? And Sapphira goes, yeah, that's it. That's the full amount? Yep, that's the full amount. Oh, you want to know where your husband is? You're about to be buried with him. Because the same men that packed him out will now pack you out. Because they missed what the exodus was all about. They missed what was going on and what was, what was coming out and what was going into. They didn't realize that the old things in that old system of money and things, what did Jesus rebuke the Pharisees for? So many times he said, you, you said that you should honor your father and mother except if, you've, if you, you know, you've pledged this money to the temple, then now you don't have to give it to your parents when they're in need because this overrides that. When that's not what the law said. But you've made it about money and about wealth and about prosperity and about all these things. In the third Exodus, we got that too, where people have made the gospel about what? Prosperity. You can get rich and you can get wealthy. If you bless God, he'll bless you and praise God. And we can preach that over and over again. And you could just give and, and give and take. And oh my goodness. And God would look at it and say, that's not what it's about. You're missing what the exodus is all about. Because you find people in this way all the time. But in the third exodus, there's a spiritual people coming out of a spiritual church. It's the bride coming out of the church to set apart, be set apart unto Christ, culminating in the catching away and the millennial reign. Now it may seem like we can just go on and go so far and not give ourselves fully to it and not subject our mind and not bringing every thought captive or into captivity of obedience of Christ, as the scripture says. We, we can go so far, in other words, today, I want to deal with today right now because we're in the third exodus, but we can look at it and go, yeah, okay, God's bringing a bride out of a church. So what's he saying then? Just being in a church is not good enough. Just attending a church, whether it be this one or another one or any one, it's not good enough. He's saying there has to be a personal relationship with Christ. And in a relationship, you give yourself. In a marriage, you give yourself to that person. Amen. You, when, when, when a woman gets married to a man, she gives himself to him. As we know in the Old Testament, or in, yeah, it was the Old Testament, how it was signified and how the woman would take her veil and lay it over the man's shoulder, signifying, I'm, I'm yours. I'm, I'm your burden. Uh, it's totally up to you now. You're my headship. Not that a woman becomes a great burden, but she's saying, I, I'm, I'm yours. And if whatever happens, you're paying for me. Praise God. And I'll help you any way I can. Because I'd like to be a virtuous woman and not be just a bump on a log and eating you out of a house at home. But rather, I'd like to be helping out and doing everything I can. Why? But, but, it, but they become one flesh. Everything that they're doing becomes one. 
Not two, not she's out this way and he's out that way and they're out this way and oh my goodness, now the kids are all on their own and we got to get them a babysitter because we're too busy and we can't do this anymore because we got a career and she's got a career and he's got a career. That's not a real marriage. But God desires real marriages and he, he wants a real marriage with a real wife that he's willing, that she's willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. He's desiring a third exodus to come out of just a church, just a we spend time together to feel good, Lord, and then I go live my own life. That's what church is. We come Sunday morning to do my duty. Wednesday night, Sunday night, Friday night. We go on ski trips together because it feels great. That's not all of it. He said, that's, that's not the end. There's, there's, he says, I'm desiring something greater. I'm desiring our lives to be intertwined. I'm desiring to be there every day. I'm desiring that you come beyond just living uh, a halfway life. I'm desiring, as he talks about, you could read the New Testament when you go home. I'll be up all night now. But you can, you can go and read some, uh, some of the New Testament where Paul would even talk about, and he would talk about in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, he said, casting down imaginations and every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity a few of your thoughts to the obedience of Christ. No, he says, bring into captivity every thought. Every thought. In other words, he's saying, this is what the Holy Ghost was sent for. The Holy Ghost, there was an exodus to take them out of a spiritual condition into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And now there's an exodus to take you from the baptism of the Holy Ghost and through that, bring you into eternity, bring you into a state of perfection. How are you going to get there? By surrendering yourself to the Holy Ghost completely. Amen. That's why we had to have a messenger come in our day and restore all things. Why? Because there had to be a restoration of the word in order to have the faith how it's faith based in the Word of God. And if the Word of God is confusing, how does faith lay settled? But if the Word of God is restored and made known unto us, then all of a sudden faith becomes revelation. And we begin to look at the Word and we can set steadfast in it. And even when someone will come and say, I don't see serpent seed, that's fine. You don't have to see serpent seed. I do. And if you're ever going to get all of that the Lord has for you, you're going to need serpent seed too. You're going to need to understand what these things are. See, understand what they are. Brother Andrew, should I have an intellectual understanding? No. Let's just let's do it in, in Third Exodus again where Brother Bram talks about it and he says, listen, he says, if you don't understand something in the Word, just punctuate it with an amen. Eventually God will give it to you. But just believe it. Just take it. Say, Lord, it's your word. Amen. I don't understand it. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how it all fits together. But amen. I like to use this example, and I'll use it again. I had a sister come to me years ago, and she said, Brother Andrew, I did not understand until you preached on the three poles recently that I always thought the three poles was three poles. One flag pole, two, three, five, three flag poles. I thought it was literal three poles. And that's what she thought. And there's nothing wrong with that. She just didn't understand it. But finally, God came and dropped in her heart. And begin to understand, get to give her a revelation and understand. It's, it's so much deeper than that. It's not at all three poles. It's not at all anything physical. It's an unseen thing. It's the same thing. I just had someone tell me recently, another sister that said, I didn't know Saul went to heaven. And I went, really? It says right in the Bible. It says right there, Samuel said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But it didn't click with her till Wednesday. When Brother Ed was preaching on it, all of a sudden it just clicked. And she went, oh, 
Saul, even though I do all these things, and you'll have to go to the Wednesday service, because if I get into that, I'll re-preach Wednesday, and you, are, you were all there. But you see, that's how revelation works. You just say amen to the Word of God until all of a sudden one day it clicks in your heart, and, you, and I'm just using simple examples. They can go a whole lot deeper than that. And for a long time, for, for many years actually, I even didn't fully understand serpency, but one day finally it clicked. And now I look at it and I want to just shake people by their, by their jackets and say, well, how could you not see this? But there was a time I couldn't see it. Amen. Even water baptism. Brother Andrew, I was raised in a message church. I understand. I, I, I can intellectually understand because it's been preached to me over and over and over and over and over and over again what the Godhead is. But yet still, you'll go talk with a denominational person and you'll sit there, scratch your head and go, I didn't think about that scripture. I didn't think about that scripture. But somehow, because I, I know what Brother Andrew preaches, what Brother Ed preaches, what Brother Harold preaches, I know that's the truth, and I believe that. Therefore, I say amen to that. And whatever this person says, I don't understand it fully, but all of a sudden, one day, God will make it click in your mind and click down in your heart, and all of a sudden, it'll go, okay, now I get it. Now it doesn't matter if so-and-so brings out some other scripture. I can say, no, see how that fits right in here. Why? Because it becomes revelation. That becomes faith lodged in and founded in the restored word. All right. Now, I'm, I'm trying to move slowly, and I'm moving too slowly. Because there's, the, the, there's a giving of yourself, because... How am I going to... All right, let's, let's pull this up quickly. Um, Judges chapter 2. If you just take your Bibles, go with me to Judges. Judges chapter 2 and verse 1. As an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Boshem and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. Who made you? God started the Exodus. This wasn't just a people that said, I'm going to emigrate from one country to another. No, this was a God called Exodus. And they said, and he made you go up, and I brought you out out of the land, which I swear unto your father, out into the land, or unto the land, which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Praise God. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land, and, shall, and you shall throw down their altars, and you shall not obey their voice. My, and, and you, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Oh, my. Wherefore I said also, I will not drive them out before you, but, shall, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare unto you, and it shall come to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of the place Boshem, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord, and when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance and to, his, to possess the land. Now I want you to notice what's happening here. Here's the, here's the angel of the Lord that comes to them and says, 
I brought you out. I called you out of Egypt. I brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers, which I swore unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I brought you back to this land, and I've told you, and he says, listen, I would not drive them out. I wouldn't leave someone there in the land for you to fight. And you would have to fight them, and they would be thorns in your side, and their gods would be a snare to you. But he's saying, but why did you join yourselves to them? Why did you fall into this snare and into this trap? I did it to try your character, but you failed the test. But God was gracious because he said, I will not break my covenant unto you. Praise the Lord. He had still given them the word. Wherever the footsteps, thy footsteps, the sole of thy feet tread, I've given you that land. He still had given them this promise. And so they went out and they sacrificed and they repented and they went out now to possess the land. And, 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 and to go back to their possession. And now if you go to verse 7, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works the Lord had which he did for Israel. So what's it talking about? The great works that the Lord did for Israel. The great works were the plagues, the, the crossing the Red Sea, it was the, 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 the water from the rock, the waters at Mizpah. It was the water. It was the manna coming down from heaven. It was the quails coming. It was the serpents and, and, then, and then being healed by the bronze serpent. It was the crossing over of the Jordan River. All the ones that had seen those things had done passed on now. And he says, during the ones that had seen those things, they served the Lord. But it says, in Joshua the son of Nun, verse 8, the servant of the Lord died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the, in the, in the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Harris, and in the Mount of Ephraim in the north side of the hill Gash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord." nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Oh my. If you jump down to verse 20 real quick, we'll just read three more verses, 20 to 23. It says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because of this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations, which Israel, which Joshua left when he died. That through them I might prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them, without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. You think about this for a minute. Because there arose a generation that didn't know the Lord, and for some reason there was still some in the land there were still people that should have been driven out already. They should have been long driven out. They had parents that had, at this point, done farm the land. They, they've been in there long enough. They've gone to their possession, to their inheritance. They've been dispersed. They, they'd been placed by Joshua. Joshua had passed on. He'd been given. You could read the book of Joshua in all of the great battles and how they, they was, they'd even been in the land so long that some of the tribes even had enough squabbles between each other. 
<laughs> but still, there was Jebusites and Hivites and, 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 and Perizzites and Parasites all in the land. And they were all there. And they, God says, yeah, they're going to be a thorn in your flesh because I left them there for a purpose, to prove you. This is now at the closing of the first exodus. When they're coming right into their land, they're coming up a generation that now wasn't there when Moses was there. That now they, they weren't there with the crossing over. They didn't see all those things. But maybe their parents had neglected to tell them about them 12 stones we heard about stacked up in the Jordan River. That were, that were the doctrines that the men of God stood on, the stones, the revelations that they stood firm on in, in the Jordan River and how the Israelites passed through and how which a one, such a wonderful time it was. Maybe they forgot to share those things. They forgot about the altar that was set up, not the altar, but the statue of, of I think it was a statue of remembrance, or I'm, I'm going to get that wrong a little bit, but it was between uh, the, the Reuben and the East tribe of Manasseh, those that were on the other side of Jordan, that they set up a, a, a memorial there, so that way they could remember that we are a part of you, we are not a separate nation, even though we're interjected by this Jordan River, we're still a part, but maybe they kind of lost that a little bit. And as, as mom and dad now were farming the land and they were getting these amazing grapes and they were getting this, oh, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but there were still some scarecrows of up in the hills. There were still some Jebusites hiding. There were still some Hivites. And they had kids. And they liked to play with our kids. <laughs> and oh my, there come a mixing in there. And somehow... The worship of them didn't look so bad to little Johnny, little Susie, the Israelite children. And as they began to grow up, what did they begin to do? They stopped worshiping mom and dad's God that made them not cut their hair and dress properly and the men not be inappropriate and be respectful unto headship and be respectful to positions of authority and raise up themselves properly and instead they were more interested in serving Balaam who when they got to church they had a light show. They had better musicians. They had musicians and worship leaders that were worldwide and they put CDs out. They wrote more songs, and they had incredible worship. And when you raised your hands, clearly you were in the presence of God, and it was amazing. But they didn't preach the truth. They were worshiping the wrong God in all of it. But it looked so nice. Listen, because sometimes we look at it, and we read judges, and we read kings, and we read these things, and we're like, man, these people are stupid. How in the world would they leave God and go worship this other God? Like, what's their problem? Clearly they know what's going to happen. No, they weren't reading the book of Kings like you do. They weren't reading the book of Judges. They didn't have the history that they could look at and go, oh, look, they fell away and then they came back and God delivered them and then God delivered them. No, they were living it out just the same way you're living this exodus out. So I'm asking you, what about you? What about me? What are we doing right now? 
Are we just being lulled to sleep and ready to go and say, listen, but I like their worship and I like what they do and I like these things. And, you know, mom and dad are a bit hard on me and this is a bit tough and the past is a bit this way. But, you know, these other places, I really like them and they're really not so bad. And is this really the truth? And are we really sure? And are we really going to go down this road? Oh, my goodness, until pretty soon we like the other way. And God says, no, they're not worshiping me. They worship me in vain. There, now, we go, now we'll go to the slideshow. Because I want to show you something in this third, ex, third exodus. Does this work now, brother? It does. <laughs> no, it doesn't. There we go. Did that, was that me or you? All right. I don't know. All right. This is a, a drawing that I... I actually got from Brother Kyle Morton, and uh, we fellowshiped on it, and I really like it. This talks about really the time lapse of the third. Can everyone see that okay? It's a little bit hand-drawn. I'd like to make it into more of an electronic version and, and add a whole other layer to it, actually, because there's a whole other layer behind this that I'm not going to get to tonight. But it talks about in time, and our, our exodus in time, and there's some overlap of the previous age, but then we have in the, the prophet, the prophet li- lives and leaves in the, you know, we have from 1947 to 1965, and I know today there's a little bit of an obsession with the silent years between the years he was born until 1947, but I'll be honest with you, God knew what he was doing. And so the prophet lives and leaves in this time, and then we have what takes after that. We have, there's some books and some tapes distributed during his lifetime and shortly after his lifetime, right? They, they make some books, they make some tapes, they begin to put them out, they begin to let them out, they begin to try and send them out. You'd send in, I've, I've talked to so many brothers, I was talking with Brother Joseph Hammond down in Tennessee, we, I was just down there and he was showing me his tapes and he's got them still in his closet. He's like, I have thousands of dollars in here worth of tapes that you now have for free on a little micro USB. Isn't that incredible? Micro SD, sorry. And you have all of these messages that these brothers spent tens of thousands of dollars to obtain. God bless them for it. But that, that was what they had in the 60s and the 70s, and the ministry and the laity, laity begin to leave denominations. Around this time, they begin to form more message churches, begin to come out of the denomination, realizing I can't stay in a Pentecostal denomination and believe the message. I've got to find a church that believes what I believe. I've got to be able to go somewhere that preaches the message of the hour, that preaches the day and age. The first church that, that really started, we could say, was Branham Tabernacle, and then there came about um, uh, Tucson Tabernacle down in uh, Tucson, Arizona. We're under Brother Perry Green. He started a church that was a message church that preached the message. But even in all of that, it was, it was, it was a beginning to come out of denominations. But what was it doing? It began to form more churches. And, in, and Brother Brown would preach a message called Three Kinds of Believers, and he'd say there's three kinds of believers in every denominational church. No, he said there's three kinds of believers in every church, denominational or not. There's still three kinds of believers, and we could preach a whole service on that. But then it began to come where questions begin to arise on certain doctrines. Why do questions begin to arise? Because same problem happens today. You give someone one message book, and you say, this is the message. And they begin to take it out on that one message when there's 1,100-something messages. And then they get to this message over here in 1963, and they get this message over here in 1952, and they get this message over here in 65, and they start to piece together the message based on that. And God's sovereign in all of it, but in it, there's men that are not filled with the Holy Ghost that begin to, to have doctrines begin to come out. And I'm throwing a lot out here for you right now, but I'm telling you about the third exodus. 
This is exactly the type of the first exodus of all the things that happened in the wilderness that were going on where men begin to arise, men like Dathan and Korah, that begin to arise. You get to say, you're not the only holy one, we're holy too. Same things happen today where man arose and said, listen, it's not just Brother Branham, there's an eighth-day messenger, and there's these other doctrines, and there's Perugia, and there's blah, 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 blah. Why? Because they were taking the message and they were mixing it up. But in all of that, that, that began to come on, and then questions begin to arise, and out of these things... True and false leaders going to arise. There was true leaders that arose. We had one in this church for a pastor and a founder for years. God bless him. We so appreciate Brother Harold Hillebrand. That he took this message and he just preached what was on the tapes and he preached the message true around the world and spread the gospel over in other countries as well. But there was other men that arose in different doctrines like return ministry, thunders, Perugia, tapes only, etc. that begin to arise during these times, have an arise and a decline. And then there's something over here, begin, camps begin to form. Now, this isn't message camps that I'm talking about. This isn't camps as in we're going down to Louisiana camp or we're going over to this camp or that camp. No, that's not the kind of camps it's talking about. It's talking about message doctrine camps. Where all of a sudden we begin to look at it and say, well, we're, we're in anti-message tabernacle, so we're this camp. And that church over there believes a little bit differently, so they're that camp. No, that's wrong. I should have called black, black, because that's wrong. That is not the gospel of the hour. That is not the exodus. And I know they did it because Joshua, or sorry, Moses, God had it from Moses and he positioned them. You were on the east side, you're on the west side, you're on the north side, you're on the south side. And you could not just all of a sudden raise up and realize, I'm tired of being on the north side of the tabernacle. I'd like to be on the east side of the tabernacle. I'm going to take my tent. No, you were a part of a tribe. But that didn't mean you were not a part of the children of Israel. You were all a part of the children of Israel. So you might be a part of this we'll call it tribe, this church here, but you're a part of the entire body of Jesus Christ globally. Amen. And all of that begin to have leaders begin to pass away. We've seen that happen. And in, in something that began to come up with these camps forming, we begin to see something happen right here called the Message Search Program. In the mid-1990s, began to become something that was widely accessible to everyone to use, which was a very, very helpful tool. And it was also a very destructive tool. Oh my, you say, really? Yes, Satan's a perverter. He likes to take something that was meant for good and use it to pervert it in order for bad. Because what it did, on the good side, I'm teaching you these things because, you know, Brother Andrew, what in the world does this have to do with us? Because I want you to understand these things because the history cannot repeat itself now. We're made to break these cycles. We're made to go in a rapture. In order to go in a rapture, we cannot go back down in a downward cycle in this generation and decide, you know what, we can just live any way we want and, you know, the message this and that. No, we need to take it on with God and run with everything that we have within us. But in this, we need to be able to understand what went before us. Good men of God that rose up and did their best, and unfortunately under it, there was ravening wolves that came in sheep's clothing and decided to do their own message of hurt. Because in this message search program, people could then take quotes that they found to support their camp idea and leave the rest out and misinterpret the word of God. Which I'm just going to be honest with you, you can't do that under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You can't. But then leaders begin to pass away. Ours just passed on, Brother, Brother Harold. Brother Ed's now taken, and we so appreciate what Brother Ed's doing and God's doing, Brother Ed. But then there comes a great attack on the message. Yes, we're living in that day and age right now. Where there came up, there was a website that went up called Believe the Sign, and then it became Don't Believe the Sign, and still took the name Believe the Sign, and it's still going on today, and it's still not worth reading. And, uh, and here we have the Jubilee Generation Liberty. That's 
our generation. Right there. A generation that wasn't here during this time. 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 Was starting to come on the scene here. Was children around here. When all these different tribes begin to fight amongst themselves and say, we want more land and we want this and they've taken us and we want... But then it really come to, come to a, a more of a teenage years here and now we've come to a place of maturity. And now this is where we need to come to. Full maturity. We need to take the gospel in its completeness. I'm trying to go to the next slide, Brother Ethan, but this thing is, uh, it's a good laser pointer. <clears throat> in scriptural signs of the time, God says, now, God in every generation has sent his signs. Jesus said before his coming, he would show signs before his coming. People are always remember. People are always remember to believe supernatural signs. They must be identified scriptural signs. Amen. We don't want just anything. We've had scriptural signs. We've had Revelation chapter 10 be a sign before us. We've had different signs that have come. And they're all to point to the message that we've received. But it says, and as I said last night, the church gets these things mixed up and gone out. Then he anoints one person. Every man difference from the other. He anoints one. God is one, so he anoints a person. He never did use a group. That's why we thank the Lord for the leadership that we had and the leadership we do have. Why? Because God anoints a man over a body to, to, to have the vision to go forward. He only will anoint one. He doesn't, doesn't do it, use it through a group, though he's with you, he's in you to the end of the world. Everyone has their place. God always uses the one, always has. He never changes his course. He uses one. He sends that forth, preaches a message. It's rejected flatly. Now, he's taking it beyond just a leader in a church. He's going back to the seven church ages. He talks about there's the first church age. He preached his message. It was rejected flatly. The second, third, fourth, fifth, and then the seventh. And then the bridegroom come, and we're in the seventh. Where he says, what happened? Brother Branham came and preached his message, and it was received by the whole world. No, it was rejected flatly. Let's go to the next slide. It says, in that revival fire, this is the end of a much larger quote that I, I wanted to get into tonight, but realized I'm not going to be able to. The revival fire built upon the sacred word is so wonderful. In other words, what's the revival fire? It's built upon this. It's built upon faith in the word of God. That's when you're going to have revival. Amen. And the manifestation of the Spirit so blessed, but this little, f little fear creeps in and whispers in the heart and says, how can we protect this truth that we have? What can we do to see this revival go on? I'll say right there, if that thought creeps in your mind, get it out. You and I can't do nothing to make sure this revival goes on. We can surrender so God makes sure this revival goes on. He says, it comes in and whispers. He says, that is when the Antichrist spirit comes in and whispers, look, you have the truth now. See that it don't get lost. Organize. Set up your creed and what you believe. Pull it all in a church manual. And they do it. They organize. They add to the word. And they die just like Eve did for taking one wrong word. It's God's word that brings life. And it's not that, he's, that we say 
about the word. It's not what we say about the word that counts. It's what God says. Amen. It's not what we say that counts. It's what God says. As, I was, as, as we were talking about before, how there was a people in the first exodus, when they didn't believe, when they refused to come out, they died naturally. In the second exodus, when they refused to come all the way out, there was a natural death, and there was a, a time of a spiritual death. But now in the day that we're living in, this is the thing that, that, that always gets people and trips people up because it's not a natural death. Because we're not a, na- a spiritual coming out of a natural, we're a spiritual coming out of a spiritual. So when you refuse to come out of it completely, you take on a spiritual death. And that's where the deception comes in, where now you feel like, but I'm still going on the same. Nothing's happened. God didn't strike me down with lightning. He didn't open the earth and swallow up all us all up. He didn't have one of his apostles come and say, all right, the one that packed your husband out will pack you out. He didn't have all these things, so therefore, is it really wrong? Yeah, Let's go on. Next quote, brother. Ethan, I want to just lay these things in and then we'll close. It says, so now, so we're, where are you in? If you've got eternal life, you were in God before there ever was a world. You are a part, a son of God, an attribute of God. You know the very age, you were, he knowed the very age you were coming. He predestined you for that age to take that place that no one else can take it. Care how many impersonations and things. In other words, you don't care how many impersonations and things. You've got... You've got, to be, you've got to be there because he knew that you would be there. Now you are made manifest. Now you can fellowship with him. That's what he wants. See, that's what he's longing for. That's what this exodus is about, coming into fellowship with him. And he goes on to say he's longing for fellowship to be worshipped. And if your life did not... If you were not always an attribute, if you always was an, if you were not always an attribute of God, then he says you're just a mimic of Christianity. He says, and there'll be millions and billions of them. They'll just be mimics of Christianity. He said that's pretty harsh. Yeah, it is. It, it, it brings it down because I want to bring it right down tonight to a reality that you can see in your own self and realize. Where am I standing? Because if you always were in the mind of God, that means you are here because God, by his predestination, put you in here to manifest his own word in this day and age to make sure you would be a part of the bride, to make sure you, he would have fellowship in this age with his bride, and you're a part of that. But he says, but if you weren't always in his mind, then you're just a mimic of Christianity. And now I'm not saying that to discourage anybody, but let's go to the next slide. He says, so... That's the way it is again today. God is calling his elect people, and they are elected now, and now they are elected for what? For resurrection. What kind of a sign is he showing them? A resurrection sign. See, what was he showing them then? A delivering sign, a deliverer them from bondage, a sign of power that would shut the heavens and could black the skies. And now he's showing the power of resurrection of his son living among them to resurrect them from his grave and graveyard that we're in to the land that he's promised us. Resurrection sign, calling out of spiritual Egypt and spiritual Babylon. That is exactly the third exodus. A calling out of spiritual Egypt. What is Egypt? The worldly goods. What is Babylon? The worldly confusion. Knowing, next slide, Brother Ethan. He says, now let me say this quietly now so you'll catch it. Doing it by the same system that he did at the beginning. The same thing he's doing. What did he do? 
He blinding the eyes of the unbeliever, opens the eyes of the believer, and notice politics doing it on the intellectual side, politics and church, politics and nations, everything. He says that's the natural side, but on the other side, it's hid away from them, a spiritual cause. So that's, that's, that's where it's coming to. You say, well, if I'm predestinated, I'm, I'm a part of him. But if I'm not predestinated, then I'm just a mimic of Christianity. Yes, but he wants to, I'm trying to get to you this and that. This exodus is something that is hidden away. It's not out in the open. So you could look at all of the current day things. The current day distractions. The current day, um, thank you, that's all the slides you can turn the lights on. All the current day things that are, uh, and, and, and the, the naysaying about the word, and all of the, the, the trying to disprove everything. And you could look at all of these different things, and you could put them all together, but the truth is hidden. Right down under it. Just like in Abraham, when Abraham was being told what was going on, your seed will go into a strange land. And all of it, how would these things come to pass? And how would these things be? And how would these things unfold? But there would become a jealousy that to the natural eye, it looked like it was just brothers jealous of another brother. But there was a whole other thing going on underneath that was hidden, that God was bringing to pass and God was manifesting. And in the second exodus, it was the same thing that was going on that the the church world was so caught up in the Romans, and in how this Jesus was coming, and how he was telling everybody he was the Son of Man, and it was blasphemy to them, and they were looking at it as, how could this guy be anything? But in all of it, underneath it all, they couldn't understand how he would come and take fishermen and, and, and all of these tax collectors and everything, and how he would choose them, and he wouldn't come to the real good and the, uh, and the educated and the best men, because underneath, God was working something. God was working an exodus to call them out of that system into something else. The same thing's going on today with a message that's been largely rejected by the world, criticized by many, and even globally. They don't want anything to do with the message of the hour. Why? They're trying to go about it their own direction. But underneath it all, God's got a bride. God's got a people that he's elected and he's made sure they're going to be there. They're going to have fellowship. I'm bringing in all of it, a people to a place of perfection. Amen. And I can't tell you which side you're on. That's between you and God. You've got to decide, Lord, which side am I on? Am I going to believe the, the, the Dathan and the Korah that says, yeah, you know what? There's more people holy than this. Am I going to believe the Balaam that had the same worship? Worshiped the same way Moses did, but preached a false message and brought the people to adultery? Or am I going to stay with Moses? Which way am I going to lean? Which way am I going to go? It comes to that kind of a decision time where we got to recognize it's all hidden underneath. It's a reality in our hearts between you and God. And it's your decision. Let's stand to our feet.
Amen. I know I've been long tonight, and I apologize for being long at a young people's service, but I appreciate your attentiveness tonight and listening closely and carefully. And thank you to the brothers for getting the screen working. It was good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Why don't we just rejoice a little bit? We'll maybe pick it up and say, um, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I could say I'm one of them. Oh, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. 